Hello! Welcome back to the audio diary of Aaron Lockman, and welcome back more specifically to my miniseries Unreviewable, in which I attempt to boldly review where no reviewer has reviewed before. Today, we will be talking about Pluto, that cold, dark ball of ice and rock which orbits in the farthest reaches of the solar system, and which, spoiler alert, is not a planet. So let's just get that out of the way right now. Not a planet, and don't worry, we'll get into it. I work part-time at the Adler Planetarium in downtown Chicago. My current job involves narrating one of the Sky Shows, but this was not always the case. I used to be the guy who would stand and greet people at the main box office as they entered the museum. Most of the questions I answered at this post were logistical ones. How much are tickets? Is there a bathroom I can use? This is the aquarium, right? Where are the dolphins? What have you done to the dolphins? But on the occasion when somebody did get around to asking me a science question, they tended to center around one particular snowball in the outer solar system, and they nearly always involved Pluto's perceived demotion by the academic elite. Do you guys hate Pluto or something? I would often hear. Or else, how come Pluto's not a planet, huh? Why'd you have to do that? This is part of something I call the corporate face fallacy, a fallacy in which the actions of customer service workers are equated with the actions of the organizations they represent. In the same way that, when I worked at Target, people would blame me for getting their credit cards hacked because I was wearing a red t-shirt, wearing a turquoise Adler Planetarium t-shirt made me an automatic avatar for the committee of fancy asshole nerds who voted to make Pluto a dwarf planet. This despite the fact that I was 11 years old when that decision was made in 2006, and thus had very little say in the matter. But, as it happens, after careful consideration, I have come to agree with the committee of fancy asshole nerds. Pluto is not, in fact, a planet. And furthermore, this is a good thing, both for science and for society. Bear with me. I'm going to tell you a story about a tiny little planet that you've never heard of. So in 1801, about 20 years after the discovery of Uranus—shut up—astronomers discovered an eighth planet. But it wasn't Neptune. No, no, that wasn't until later. This tiny little planet was called Ceres. And it was not at the edge of the solar system like Uranus was, <laughs> but was instead in the large gap between Mars and Jupiter. The next year, astronomers discovered another tiny planet in the same area and named it Pallas. Then, wouldn't you know, they discovered a third and a fourth, named Juno and Vesta, respectively. And for several decades, children in classrooms learned the names of the eleven planets. Out to Uranus. Shut up. But the trouble was, astronomers kept finding more and more tiny, rocky objects in that gap between Mars and Jupiter, and became increasingly uncomfortable lumping them in with the much larger and more distinct planets on the list. And so they became asteroids, and that area of space became the asteroid belt. Huge tangent here, but I feel like it's important to note that this was in the 1800s when, like, women couldn't vote and slavery was cool. And you know what the general public did when they found out some of the planets weren't planets? They got the fuck over themselves. And I'm just saying, continuing. 
Time soldiered on. 1846 brought the discovery of Neptune, and, as the 20th century rolled around, an American man named Clyde Tombaugh discovered tiny, tiny Pluto out beyond that in the year 1930. But in 1992, another tiny object was discovered out by Pluto's orbit. It was small and unremarkable in and of itself, but it was the first of many. In the years since, we've discovered well over a thousand similar objects in the area. It was the asteroid belt all over again. This one we called the Kuiper Belt, after a guy named Gerard Kuiper who had theorized about such a belt beyond Neptune. Many of these objects were much more similar to Pluto than Pluto was to the other planets, but the clincher came in 2005 when we found an object in the Kuiper Belt called Eris, which was about the same size as Pluto and 28% more massive. And here is where the Committee of Fancy Asshole Nerds enters the picture. The International Astronomical Union's job when they met up in 2006 wasn't expressly to demote Pluto. Rather, they were supposed to come up with a workable definition of what a planet is, something which we didn't technically have up to that point. The whole conference is fascinating to read about, because it's a towering testament to the human need to quantify, to organize, to label, and put things on neat, ordered shelves. I understand that. I do that. Of course, you can also look up footage of people with pro-Pluto signs yelling and marching outside the event, which... Ugh, deep, beleaguered sigh. Footage like that always makes me wonder why on earth somebody would choose to devote their time and effort to such a pointless endeavor, but then here I am, watching them on YouTube, giving them attention like they want. But yeah, the definition that the IAU came up with was that a planet has to 1. orbit the sun, 2. be a sphere, and 3. be big enough to have cleared its quote-unquote celestial neighborhood. And obviously Pluto fits the first two, but not the third. This definition ended up being a bit contentious because that third criterion would, if we really wanted to get into the weeds, technically disqualify Jupiter as well. The point is... Categorizing objects in the solar system is never going to be perfect, and the definition of planet has never not been changing. But Pluto is way more like its fellow Kuiper Belt objects than it is like any of the planets, so I am happy to roll with this definition for now. But scratch all that. Why is this important? Why does this story fascinate me so much? Well, it's actually quite simple. Pluto and its demotion from planethood are a fascinating litmus test for how people perceive the role of science in their lives. Idiots tend to congregate around Pluto as a sort of anti-intellectual martyr. To my most obnoxious museum guests, it represents the tweed-wearing liberal elites thinking they have the right to interfere in my righteous goddamn American values because I learned there were nine planets in school, damn it. This is in part because Pluto is the only planet to have been discovered by an American, which elicits feelings of defensiveness. But mostly, I feel like it seems to stem from this distinctly American aversion to change, this suburban, apple-pie-fueled, deluded nostalgia. I can't tell you how many people asked me about Pluto with genuine hope in their eyes, 
but then proved unwilling to listen to my explanation, or else responded with, but I like Pluto, as if that had anything to do with it. On the other hand, the average American doesn't really care about Pluto all that much. Most of my friend group, for instance, can hardly stand to hear my rants about this subject anymore because they simply do not care. Astronomy seems like something irrelevant to our modern lives, in this age where the time of day comes from our phones and not from the sun and stars, and where the city blots out the night sky with its sickly orange malaise. Astronomers and nerds, meanwhile, just want to know more. On the whole, the average working astronomer is more concerned with studying the objects themselves than working out what is and isn't a planet, and many go so far as to call everything that orbits the sun planets. Dwarf planets, asteroids, comets, whatever. Everything is planets. The label of planet which I've been so militant about this entire episode becomes quite incidental. Because we're all just cosmic leftovers swirling microscopically around the sun, so why quibble over semantics when there's cool shit to be studied? But here's the bottom line. Discovering new things about space will never be a bad thing. And furthermore, the label of planet is not a gold star, or a prefect's badge, or an academy award. It's just a word we use to describe a type of thing. Some of the most fascinating shit in the solar system is happening on moons, in asteroids, in comets, on the sun, and on Kuiper Belt objects like Pluto. Back in 2015, the first probe to visit Pluto sent us back all kinds of cool new data and some truly jaw-dropping photographs. And I find it fascinating how the most staunch Pluto planet defenders rarely seem to know this. We know now that Pluto has entire glaciers made out of frozen nitrogen and ice mountains that are as high as the Rockies. We know that when Pluto gets closer to the sun, some of that nitrogen bleeds off and creates a thin, hazy blue atmosphere. We know that Pluto has an enormous flat plane on it that's kind of shaped like a heart, which was probably caused by a grazing impact with another Kuiper Belt object. Pluto is not a planet. But the only reason for that is because it's surrounded by thousands of other equally compelling objects, each with their own fascinating stories to tell. I could write a whole episode each about Eris, or Haumea, or Sedna, all fellow dwarf planets in the Kuiper Belt, all cool as shit. I won't though, because this episode has already hit maximum nerd. I give Pluto 5 out of 5 stars. For more about Pluto, I highly recommend the video Is Pluto a Planet? by CGP Grey, which expands a bit on the story I just told. If you're curious about the Kuiper Belt and you happen to find yourself in the Chicago area, I highly recommend Adler Planetarium's sky show Planet 9, which dives deeper on how friggin' cool the outer edge of our solar system is. Next time on Unreviewable, I shall review Romantic Longing. So yeah, that should be interesting. Have a safe week.